Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hear Me See Me podcast is sponsored by Zenoti, the number one cloud software for salons and spas. Because when people feel good, they find their greatness. I am Stuart Roberts, and I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me See Me. It's just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. I'd had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job. This is a calling. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me, See Me podcast. And uh, I've got a guest on today who's very well known in the hairdressing world. And we're also going to chat about a wonderful project he's, he's bringing about at the moment. And we're going to have a chat about, a bit about that at the end. But we're going to start off with, you know, his hairdressing life. Today I'm talking to Luke Hurchison. How are you, sir? I'm all right. I'm all right. We're a couple of days away from opening, so I'm slightly, uh, for some bizarre reason, got a lot of nervous energy running through me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like going over the over the top in the first world war, isn't it? You're ready, yeah. <laughs> All quiet, and then it's like that whistle goes, and off we go. Bunch of hairdressers going over the top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not like hairdressers to be over the top, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all melodramatic. Yeah. <laughs> all, <right>. um, <laughs> all the things that's so, wrong. <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people know about you, Luke, and. Um, but for anyone who, who who doesn't know your story and, and the family you come from and all of that stuff, uh, take me back to when you was young, because I, I, I saw on your website that you started at sort of roughly about the age of four. <laughs> so you had no choice, did you? You was going to be hairdresser no matter what. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think I knew that, but I think my dad did like a lot of things to, to stop me, or not necessarily stop me, but really make sure... Um, really make sure I really want... That's really what I wanted to do. Um... It's funny because um, I was listening to, I, I thought we were going to talk about this because um, I was listening to some of the other podcasts today and um, and I, I kind of feel like um, I always, like I was always in awe of my dad. He was like, you know, growing up, I was, he was like, he was my best mate. I mean, still he, he still is, you know, he's still, he's still my best mate. And, um, uh, and we've always been, had that kind of relationship, which is, you know, I'm really lucky. Um but he, he always tells this story, you know, whenever we go anywhere, it's like, it's so embarrassing. It's like, you know, I used to take Luke to the salon when he was four and he used to ask where this was going and that was going. And then I took my daughter somewhere the other day and uh, she was going, where's that? And where's that going? And I was like, oh my God, this is which She's three, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, God, that, that was, um, that was, that must've been me. Um, so I, yeah, I, I just always loved it. I loved the vibe. I loved the atmosphere. I loved the people. And my dad had salons in, so I grew up in the, in the eighties, which was like an amazing. Yeah, I remember it. Uh, I mean, but I mean, I, I think I was kind of an odd child cause I wasn't really into like football and, um, 
I, re- I loved going to the salon, like, you know, really young. I was a bit, it was a bit strange, I suppose. Not strange, but like, you know, I wasn't playing with, you know, um, toys. I just wanted to go to the salon. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I just loved it. I loved the whole, I loved everything about it. And, and he had a salon on King's Road and it was full of punks. And um, so I just, I got really exposed to all those kind of like, um, you know, pop cultures and rods and mockers. Uh, oh. <laughs> rods and mockers. Rods and mockers. Mods and rockers. And, you know, just, I just saw, and then he had a salon in Sloan Street. It was really, like, glamorous and she-she. And so I saw it was very, like, society and big big hair and, you know. And so I just saw a lot and I loved it. And I just, there was, I always wanted to do it. And, and he was always just kind of like, you know, trying to just put obstacles in my way because I think he was just trying to test it. Was I doing it just because I wanted to hang out with him and be with him and I was looking up to him or did I really want to do it? Um, so I had a few other jobs on the way. I was a milkman for a while. Oh, was yeah? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I loved it. I just, I, I could not. You say something on your, on your, on your podcast about it being a calling. Um, yeah. And I think that's just—it's part of you, isn't it? It's part yeah. of. It's part, part of unique, isn't it? That's that, the unique thing about our industry. Until people are in it or around it, they don't quite understand the connections that hairdressers have with their industry. I think. Yeah, it's it's part of you. It's it's not job. Uh, it's uh, I don't even know if it's a career. It's just part of my being. It's part of my. And I'm. I just think we're really lucky. And there are hairdressers that don't feel that way. But I mean, for me, I I've always can't imagine myself doing anything else. Like I just think it's part of us. And uh, I think we're incredibly lucky because I look at the amount of people that don't that don't know what they want to do or, or don't enjoy what they're doing. And I think we're just incredibly fortunate to, yeah. you know, not feel like work is work. Because I think for a lot of people, for the majority of people, work is, you know, they're working to not work. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so I just always, well, I just, it was for me, it was always, I wasn't ever going to do anything else. Yeah. I, I, I thought, oh, photography, it was too technical, design. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, yeah. So I don't, you know, I start, I, I, I yeah, probably. I was a Saturday boy from the age of 12, you know, I was washing hair. Um, did a bit of a course at Sassoon's when I was probably 18, 19, like a short course. My dad sent me there because it was the opposite way to how he worked. Right. He was, he was, he was, he was a very, he is a very, I mean, you know, razors, round brushes and everything Sassoon didn't do. He did. So he went, right. You go in there and, and they hated me. I was this cocky little shit, you know, who used to get a round brush out and they used to come running down and we don't use these here, you know. And uh, um, I was just a cocky little brat, I think. And and I was just trying to, you know. Yeah, push the buttons. Push the buttons. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> um, but, you know, it was good. It was good to see something else. And he wanted me to see that because it was a really different, a uh, really different way of hairdressing to what, you know, to what he did and uh, which was great. I was really fortunate. But I, you know, I'd been watching hair all my life. So um, I had this weird confidence, but technically I was crap when I started. 
right. you know, I kind of knew what I wanted people to look like. Yeah. But there were probably quite a few lumps and bumps in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I learned a lot on the job and um, I don't know. I think, I still think now like people go through apprenticeships and they can cut perfect bobs or perfect graduation. But you know, that there's a, the more important thing is to know, like to vision a lot, to, to, to be able to, um, what's the word? Envisage what yeah. someone wants to be. Yeah. What someone should look like. And then you can figure out how to do that later. I remember Guido said that to me. What he said, I don't think about how to do things. I just think about what I want them to look like. And yeah. then I don't care. I'll get anyone in to help me realize that um, result. Yeah. It's like set your goal and work backwards. Yeah. It's that, that, yeah. yeah. I, I really get that. Because it's if you, if you begin with the how, you often don't get past that. Yeah. And I, I, why you can't do it. I think the industry is split in that sense. There's, there's a lot of people that are very, very obsessed about the detail, about the technique, about the how, but yeah. not that bothered about the result. And then there's other people that are obsessed with the result and then we'll, f- then we'll think about the how after. Yeah. And, and um, I see that with a lot of educators. There's a lot of yeah. you know, precision and, and technique, which is kind of almost overtakes the result. I've always yeah. not really been interested in the how, but more interested in the what, in the f- final yeah. look. That's yeah. probably why I was technically not very good for, for the, at the beginning, but, you know, you learn, right? There was something quite uh, quite a few years ago, I came across something that was in, in Asia, um, and there's this thing of, like, education, particularly with a creative art of, of consistency, you know? So it's like we want that creative flair. We want to be out we want a, a look, but we want to make sure that that's repeated time after time. And, and this, this, um, I think it was, a, it was one, obviously in Asia, it was one of these massive places, um, colleges. Um, and, but they got it that almost like robotic. So they were all like they came in, like you could pick one of any like 50 heads that had been cut and they would, you wouldn't find a different hair. Yeah. Even, you know, and you yeah. thought, at that time, I was thinking, wow, that consistency is amazing. Yeah. And almost there's no soul. No. It beca- that's, becoming, that's becoming an Amazon product. Literally. But it's, yeah. it's kind of watch, copy, watch, copy, watch, copy. And, yeah. you know, it's a skill. But you're right. It's, um, it, the soul's not there. The, the feeling and the character yeah. um, kind of is missing somehow. I, I, I think when you, it was a great move on your dad's part to send you to Sassoon's. Because I think once you then, it's that old thing of learning to drive, isn't it? You need to know the rules. You need to learn how, you, you need great to enough. drive until you pass the test. Then you learn how to drive after. Yeah. You know, but you've got to have them foundations and fundamentals. And yeah. 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 It was, yeah. I mean, I was, yeah, I was just young and cocky and. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't, I, I didn't have much patience. And I think, you know, th- that, that kind of part of hairdressing is it's, you've got to be patient. Like you've got to, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, I look wife. at, I look at like hairdressers like Christiane, you know, the American yeah. and it, you know, it's freehand and it's, you know, it's yeah. just such a feel. And I, and that's what I still kind of go back to that. Like yeah. that's, I'm more in that world even today. It's the way that I cut hair like that. 
but I question myself sometimes. Is it because I love the free flowing uh, and the end result, or am I lazy? So I, I always self doubt, you know, because I think he's just being lazy. Are you, are you, you know what I mean? It's weird when I when I grew when I was because I went on the floor probably when I was about eighteen, nineteen, right? And it was for me, I was so insecure because first of all, I was the boss's son, right? Which is as much, which is tough. It's actually not. Uh, you know, everyone sat there thinking, "Oh, it's easy. He's it's easy for him." Right? Yeah. But sure. but 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 actually, what you've got is, um, you know, everyone judging you behind you. You know, or you certainly felt like that. You know, like, um, oh, but you know, I remember I bumped into a stylist once in the in the salon. I was out in Soho. I was feeling about nineteen. And this guy said he was he was off his face, and he just went, "You can't cast straight line." <laughs> and it ruined me for, for, for years because you know um it was always in your head and it's that thing of like you know because you get indoctrinated especially when you've been through that kind of education that like everything has to be perfect right yeah. but actually I mean the way I cut hair now is um is so the opposite of that like I celebrate imperfections and I've, I've learned 20 years later the confidence about that I don't think it is laziness, but I think you're yeah. it's weird. The indoctrination. I, I think that a lot of education is almost like brainwashing because, you know, once you in that, you can't quite get out of that way of thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's that sabotage. It's that sort of, cause I know it's how I like to do it. I've had a, you know, I've been doing it a long time, so I've got the feel of hair, and I know, I know, I know how it grows. I can look at it straight away and know how it's sitting, and so I've got all that confidence. But as you say, it's that self doubt, that little niggling thing of, uh, you know, like, are you breaking the rules there? You know, because <laughs> it was I was trained the late seventies, um, but then just coming into, I was at the, I was speaking to somebody the other day about it. I, I was at the end of setting, but the beginning of cutting. Okay. Uh, you know, so it was great to have those foundations of setting and yeah. I think you really learned how hair, how to manipulate hair, yes, and how it how it reacted. But then, then I had a, my actual boss was a very um, precise cutter, so he was like he was giving me all this. But I wanted to do, all this. yeah, <laughs> and it was that's that. quite an interesting time, really, isn't it? Because it was a fascinating time, yeah. Because you probably got the best of both. Yeah. Whereas, whereas, you know, in the 80s, it was so much about geometry to some degree, wasn't it? It was like back to those Sassoon shapes again, really. Yeah. Or masses of volume. Yeah. I mean, that we must have been like solely the responsible for the hole in the ozone layer. I know, there were, <laughs> I know I had a salon in Stanford de Hope and I know there was a big hole in the ozone layer above my salon in Stanford de Hope because it was before they took all the CFCs out. And all the yeah. Stuff. And you yeah. Think, God, I used to, you know, it was like, I wouldn't just have one can of hairspray. I'd have like a little group of crack cans on there, you know, in case <laughs> I run out. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God, you had a really, you were, yeah, it was a great time to learn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, you, you hit the floor at 18. Where did it go after that? So, yes, yeah, so I was kind of on the floor at 18. I was, um, 
and then I really wanted to get into session. So at the time, um, at the time, at that time, so that was probably 1999, just uh, 98, 99. Yeah. And I had this niggle um, in me that salons at that time, they weren't kind of considered cool. They were, they were kind of, um, they were a bit, I'm trying to find a polite way of saying this. Um, you had kind of people like Sam and Guido and they were doing these Julian Deese, these amazing session hairdressers. And they were, they were kind of, they were kind of considered, you know, there was a kind of mystery about that world, right? It's not like now when you can sit in a bedroom and just look at the backstage at a show, you know, yeah. and see what people are doing like that. You couldn't get access to that. So it was a real mystery and, uh, and, and uh, you couldn't get into it unless you were there, right? So I was really fascinated. And I think growing up, I used to see pictures of like Sam McKnight launching his products with all the super, this picture of him he did with all the supermodels laying on him. It was like amazing. Yeah. I was just standing, you know, in the news agent being like, oh, that's, that's mega. That's just the coolest thing. And, uh, and, and just all those guys that were working with the supers at that time, I was really, and then he had salons and, and, and so there was this disconnect between the two. And I, and for me, I was like, why is it so disconnected? You know, it was, um, and we were also entering a, this time of like grunge where like, you know, it wasn't really about haircuts. It wasn't really about hair. It was kind of about making hair look bad or, you yeah. know, um, like hairdressers hadn't been there. So it, it was this weird moment and salons, I, I felt just felt a bit, uh, I I'm trying to use the words that aren't like derogatory, but there was just this, they just weren't kind of um, looked up to in the media, I suppose. Um, um, you know, I remember seeing Sam McKnight on Ab Fab or there was the clothes show at the time and they would yeah. you'd never kind of get salon people involved. And for, for my dad, that was really weird because when he started, there was no industries called, there was no session industry. So people would phone the salon up and say, Oh, can you come and do a shoot for Vogue? You know, that's, it was one industry and then it split. When I came in, you just had these two industries, you know, and uh, salons were a bit out of, out of um, flavor. And, uh, and so I, my mission was like, we've got to make the salon cool again. I know that sounds yeah. really knobby, but like, no, no, but it was like, yeah, just, no, uh, come on. <laughs> but you just kind of get it um what's the word like looked up to again like it's from, yeah. from a media point of view like um you know I, I felt like my dad was a great hairdresser I, I, and he was always looking forward to like new trends and new haircuts and and it wasn't kind of naff and mumsy and I was like why is why is that not being seen so to me yeah. I just I thought the best way I could do is well I can stay in the salon and do session no one was doing that at the time no. it was like really unusual now yeah. Now it's normal, right? Now yeah. everyone does a bit of everything. Yeah. But at the time, that was so. I set on a mission. I was like, well, I'm going to make my name for myself, and also it'll be it will be it will help me because you know people won't just think oh, I'm a busy salon hairdresser, son of a hairdresser. You know, you ha I had yeah. to make my own name. So I, I tried, you know, really hard to get out there, met model agents, and started testing and shooting and just building a portfolio. And and eventually, you know, after kind of. I don't know, three or four years, I had this client in my chair. Her name was Kim. She um, turned out, I didn't know who she was, but she turned out to be one of the biggest photography agents in London. She represented loads of amazing photographers. And she said, phone me up one day. And she said, oh, can you go to Sardinia tomorrow? This was 2001. It was just after 9-11. Oh, wow. I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, she, she's like, well, Guido was meant to do this job, but he can't get back from New York. This is, everything was locked down after 9-11. And, 
and it was a, 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 an ad from a Sony with Giselle. And um, that was like my, my break into session. And um, that was amazing. But it was, oh, I was so nervous. It was like, the, <laughs> it was... Uh, been absolutely... <laughs> You must really have been going through it. I just, yeah. I'm, t- I'm thinking of the journey over. You know that. that. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was like, but it was. It was a break. It was like my first, my first job at that kind of level of yeah. like, you know, fashion and, um, yeah, and I and I had a really good career in session. I managed to balance the two, you know, salon yeah. and session. And everyone said you can't do that. You have to pick one. And and I said no. You know. I don't want to pick one to me. Like, I still love cutting hair in the salon. It's really important I'm there. My, my career was always going to be about all of it. I didn't want to just do one thing. So yeah. So I just juggled. Um, and I still juggle today. I probably do a little bit less than I, than I do now. But I think that whole session world's changing a lot. Um, massively. You know, yeah. It has been changing over the past few years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that's kind of... I can't remember the question now. But I, I think that's kind of how I how I started and you know, my mission was to try and just, you know, make our brand, make our salon brand kind of cool and relevant and noticed, I suppose. Cause there were times where salons were really like, they were really relevant. They were really, you know, 70, if you look back to kind of seventies and eighties and the nineties was this weird moment, I think for salons. Yeah. Um, you know, you had Nicky Clark that was basically kind of he was like this massive celebrity hairdresser, yeah. but it was a very different thing. It wasn't, it wasn't so kind of fashion related. And I just, I wanted to kind of bring that. I understand what you mean. It was that thing of, it, 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 it wasn't high fashion, was it? It was almost like it was, it was high commercial. Yes. It was like a lot of morning TV yeah. and a lot of makeovers and, yeah. Which was great, you know, and there's a lot of those guys that became huge names that built massive product companies did really, really well. Yeah. Um, but but that kind of innovation or kind of that link to fashion wasn't there and, and that's what was missing for me at that point. And um that's where I thought we could we could be different. We could so we actually decided there were a lot of things we decided we're not gonna do. So we weren't gonna do hair awards we weren't going to do morning tv we just didn't we just said let's not do all those things because actually we could probably become we could probably get noticed more from the stuff we weren't doing than from the stuff we were doing if that makes sense that's a very brave decision well it's a cheaper decision as well because the hair awards cost a fortune (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i remember because um it was the late 80s, or uh, I had my salon in 88. Um, and then, so around that time in the early 90s, um, L'Oreal were doing this thing where, where you could go up to the centre and they'd have a day with. Uh, yeah. Very early on, it was a day with uh, Charles Worthington yeah. and uh, Simon Adam Peters. Yeah. That, that day, as a young salon owner, <laughs> like, it really hit me, you know, between the eyes of like my whole direction. I'm a bit, I am a bit too um, spontaneous. I did come back after I've, I've driven my sister mad over the years. I sort of came back and the next day I said, right, we're doubling our prices, which isn't really the thing you do. You do gradually increase the service and do it like that. But I went, nah, we're, I've seen, I've seen what we're going to be. We're going to be Charles Worthington in Essex and we're going to do this and we're going to get little trays for our coffee. We're going to do all of this stuff, you know. But 
I remember him saying that he got a call for Vogue um, and Alan saying, you can't do it. And in, in, they had a big sort of thing over it, but Anna said, no, we, we, we're building the business. We can't have you out the salon and not get paid for the day. That's interesting. And that's I remember, I still remember that now, and I'm thinking, what a brave thing to do. But that's the thing of the artist and having a business partner. Mm. See, we, um, were the op- we were the opposite. We had, we tried to build, I, I always looked at, I always said, I always kind of looked at like Bumble and Bumble in New York. They were like, yeah. at the time, like that's all I looked up to. And, and I looked up to John Frieda as well. And I said, I kind of feel like we're somewhere in between the two or we should be somewhere in between the two. Yeah. We're kind of highbrow like John Frieda, but we're cool and relevant like Bumble, right? And that was always kind of where I was trying to get to. And yeah. so we tried to kind of curate like as many session hairdressers that were coming and going as possible. So in a way, like the opposite of, yeah. um, you know, we had people like Rudy Lewis and Lindell Mansfield and, you know, they were people I just, I'd met, you know, we were all assistants at the same time, you know, and um, there were a few of us, um, you know, out there doing bits and pieces and it, it just helped the whole, the whole vibe. So, uh, you know, I suppose it's, everyone did it different ways, right? Everyone was, yeah. Um, you had a very clear vision, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we, we definitely did. We, we really knew what we were trying to do. And I, and I think the business, you know, it's, it's weird. Cause I feel like I look back now, it's 20 years. Like I started 20 years ago and I still feel like I'm the new guy. I mean, I'm not, but, um, yeah. it, 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 and I look at the younger generation coming through now and, and I'm definitely not the new guy, but like, I don't feel like, uh, I don't feel like, you know, the old guard it's it, it's weird it's um i think we've still got a long way to go a lot to do um yeah um it there's to me there's still a lot of work to do i mean, one, one of the things i think is is just how how we're perceived out there hairdressers yeah. i think i think uh, like as i'm getting a bit older i'm starting to look at things like that as like how the perception of hairdressing is still not what it should be. In fact, I was working with a makeup artist called Lisa Eldridge a couple of days ago. Yeah. Um, and she's just done this. Um, she's done this TV program comes out next Tuesday. I didn't mean for this to be a plug and I actually can't remember the name of it, but it comes out next Tuesday on BBC two. And, um, it's about the, the history of makeup and she did all this. She's gone back to kind of the 1700s, the 1800s. It's like really amazing. And she said, then if you were a hairdresser, you were one of the most respected industries, right? Yeah. Um, you know, they were, and I just kind of think, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's bonk. I'm actually going to phone her and talk to her about it. Cause I, I think there's maybe some learning, you know, it was, um, it was really, really, really respected. Yeah. I think, um, well, there was a time, uh, when you had to pay to get, be an apprentice. Yeah. Um, there was a time when it was very difficult to get into, um, and then as as time goes on, it became easier and easier. You know, um, do you I'm, think? Do you think in your career have you seen it like the perception change for better for worse? Um, <laughs> when I started it was nineteen seventy eight. Now there weren't many men doing it. 
like I got stick. Um, yeah, I got off, stick for just off, being son of a hairdresser. Well, I got stick off my dad. <laughs> he was ashamed. He was like, he, he. I said to him, like, he was a real man's man, you know. And I said to him, I'm going to be hairdresser, dad. And he went, oh, what am I going to tell the blokes at work? <laughs> <laughs> and he went, yeah. and then he went, I've said this many times. He spent about three years calling me a barber and, uh, yeah. and all that. Um, but the thing at the time was any perception of hairdressers on TV or the media were the because um, it. Well, I'm going back to the late seventies, but it was the mincing, you know, Gervais the hairdresser and all these things. Um, and and. It then got a point where it did the clothes show like that. It became yeah. really cool to be a hairdresser. There was that resurgence. I tell you, one of the, my heroes was uh, Simon Forbes' antenna. Yeah. yeah. Like that time, like, it became so cool to be a hairdresser again. Mm. But I feel where we've really then relapsed is the group on culture. Mm. When, when we, when we were in trouble on the high street, we all jumped, you know, I didn't personally, but the industry jumped on the group on culture. On the discount culture. The discount group on culture mm-hmm. that ravaged our, our esteem because mm-hmm. it, it, we turned a valued service into a commodity. Yeah. And your special relationship with your customers, like my in my little area, my coffees on the trains mm-hmm. <laughs> once they started doing the group on culture said Stu right I'm having a cut and colour but they've got colour I've got a group on on the colour down there when they realised that some of the other places they've got nice little trays or they've got a Kit Kat and it, you know yeah. a head massage and they yeah. and it, it all became the mystery lift because it all became let's shop I'll go from there to there to there transient clients <laughs> so the most loyal clients are transient clients you know, and then there's on top of that, there there's that thing of not respecting your own time. Mm. You know, like putting a value on your own time. So by discounting, 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 you're saying it's, become it's, own worst, it's, it's own worst enemy in a yeah. way. Yeah. Sorry, I went into one there. But no, uh, no, no, no. I think you're a thousand percent right because I think it's it's like a vicious circle. It's like. Um, in fact, one of our team, I saw the other day, she put something out on, on Instagram. She said, what, she was asking her clients, you know, what do you expect to pay if I come to your house as opposed to you come to, your sal- come to a salon? Yeah. And she got all these answers back saying, you know, less, you know, if you come to a salon. She said, why, you know? And people said, well, you know, I don't think it's going to be as good. And, da, da, da. and it's really interesting the values that people place on a haircut. Um and it's bizarre because actually through lockdown, you've seen it's one of the things that people have missed the most. Right. Yeah. Um, and in a way, I kind of think that when we're insecure or nervous as hairdressers, it's the easiest thing to do is to kind of discount ourselves or devalue ourselves, put a lower price on it much harder. It takes much more confidence to, to put your prices up. You know, the amount of chats I've had with hairdressers are us over the years saying, you know, go on, do it. You can do it. You're great. You're worth it. You know, and they, oh, I don't know, you know, and like, no, go for it. And then six months later, they've gone, God, that really was worth it. Like, you know, it's, and it's really about confidence, isn't it? You know, lifting people's confidence and realizing, like, showing them what they're worth. But the more, as you're right, the more, the more we discount, the, the, 
the more devalued the industry becomes. Yeah. And if you equate it, I'm not I'm not taking away from car mechanics, but if you equate it, you know, like an hourly rate. Totally. Uh, the hourly rate you'll pay if you if you stick your your Ford in a Ford garage, uh, the hourly rate they charge you for some kid who's just come out of their you know training or still in their training mm-hmm. to service your car is astronomical compared to you know. So you, you've you must. That's why I've always liked the tier system. Some people don't. I like the tier system because. It's relevant to experience. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But I think we've got a lot of work to do. I think the industry's got a lot of work to do to change yeah. the perception of how it of how we're how we're seen. I, th- I, th- I think there's still it's such yeah. an incredible it's such an incredible industry, and it's um it's so rewarding. And it and I think in a way maybe the lockdowns have have helped people see us in a different way. You know, there's been a newfound respect. Yeah, I think yeah, it's the absence makes the heart grow fonder, and they've grown very fond of us. But people are fickle because mm-hmm. <laughs> we yeah. saw that in the first lockdown. Because I, I'm only you know, I love to be positive, but sometimes I have to be realistic. And I, I really thought they're going to really appreciate us after this that first three or four months. And then I started to see. So I watch a lot on the online. I watch a lot of the Facebook groups and all of the things. Um, to see the general view of things. Um, and then I started to see, oh, not sure about charging a bit extra for PPE and I'm not sure about this. People are complaining for the extra £2. You know, and you can't help but think, well, that was short-lived, wasn't it? It was like, I can't wait to get back to my hairdresser. Oh, I've got to pay an extra couple of quid, you know. And hairdressing salons suffered because you were having to separate, space out, time, you know, forty percent less turnover on the site. You know, and people w- would complain about an, a couple of quid surcharge, or you know, and and you, you, I think, and there's another aspect to it as well, where sometimes hairdressers. Um, I mean, I love the industry, I love hairdressers, but we can shoot ourselves in the foot. Whereas, you know, by what we do on social media, that's a great like Achilles heel, I think, of ours is because. I want to be taken seriously. I want to be professional. And some of the stuff that people put out. <laughs> like what? Like, well, you know, like it's it, it, it it's not professional because it, it's, it, it's really bad. I mean, I've got a potty mouth, but it's really bad language. It's really, you know, and you, it's all this stuff that's almost like, well, we're cool, but we've got to be professional. You know, yeah. it's, that, it's that balance again. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you totally. Yeah, I think I think stuff like I think stuff like Groupon's probably, you know, people get salons need the traffic, you know, stuff like that. It's a vicious circle. So yeah, I don't know. As a positive though, um, things like the British Beauty Council are, are doing so much great work for us you know to get recognized now you know as the care sector yeah. uh, it, that all of that stuff is is in because it was all it's always been quite a bit fractured all the different bodies is coming together and then pushing it out it's, it's got to really lift the profile yeah I, th- I think so and um 
I was quite involved in um, a campaign called Save Our Salons over um, over lockdown as well, which was yeah. which was was trying to help the you know get this VAT reduction. Oh God, yeah. That um, hospitality got given, <laughs> and hairdressing didn't, and yeah. we didn't nail it. But I, I do think there's, I do think there's going to be a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, yeah. but I think that was one of the great things. It's like. I started talking and meeting people that I would never have done normally, you know, other hairdressers, like even, even organizations like the NHBF, like I'd never had anything to do with them. I met the guy that runs that and a couple yeah. of people there, you know, Millie at the beauty council. Um, I thought that was quite, you're right. I mean, that was quite impressive. It really did bring people together. And I hope that stays. Yes. Um, I hope that stays, you know, more more together because there are still, I think, a lot of politics going on, and you know, those organisations are. There's not enough hairdressers, I think, on them. Um, sorry, salon owners and hairdressers on them. I think there still needs to be more representation, you know, by us, by all of us that are paying the bills and you know paying the staff and, but you know, I think we've taken massive steps forward. It's yeah. it's, it's really good. I think I think that it's got to be kept up this campaign for the VAT because it's it's I felt it's, it's happened for quite a long time before even this before the yeah. pandemic um, because it, it basically it's a service industry you're claiming such little back it's, yeah. it's almost like a twenty percent tax on your turnover and then it you've completely got, is it completely it, is it, and it, I think you compare that to restaurants and and you know they're selling really goods. And, and so for all the stuff they're buying and they're claiming it back, their, their claim back is so much higher than our claim back because what, what can we claim back? Shampoos and colours yeah. and, and, and really that's it. But um, I think the industry is pretty, you know, it's not an even, I learned a lot of this through, through lockdown and save ourselves stuff, but this kind of even playing field is, is difficult. It's almost like incentivized not to be VAT registered. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, which I don't really think is good for anyone, really. No, no. If, if, if they made it, if make, they made the model work better, because I I know because I had a salon for so long, I uh, for thirty years I had a salon, and it was it was almost a, um, a model where you couldn't. It, the more you got, the more you got penalised. Yeah. And so I can sort of get. I don't I don't agree with it, but I sort of get why they just think. Oh no, look, I'm not. There's no point. I've even known people like just uh, I've come because I've got lots of different volunteers across the board with our charity. I meet people throughout the whole of the industry. It's been fascinating, and some of them with a very small business. The VAT say to them, "Look, if you if you do a little bit more, you can you can actually like we can you can make your VAT registered and you can and they they choose actually to do a day less <laughs> that's the bizarre thing is that um is that you you the minute you hit 86,000 pounds yeah. a year you have to hit 100 and I think it's 110 yeah. just to be making the same amount of money yeah <laughs> it's, it's, like, 
it completely doesn't make sense. No, and I've heard people say, well, I, I just do four days a week and earn the same money. <laughs> like, it's yeah. not good, it's not, but that's no good for anyone because there's no, no. expansion, no. there's no growth, there's no education, there's no... no. <laughs> it's a crazy thing. But Ireland's done a really good thing. Ireland chopped their VAT, um, I think it was back in 2013 or 2014, they chopped it to 9%. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, I can't remember the exact stats, but something like five times the amount of apprentices after that, that the yeah. industry started growing. Da, 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 da. And, yeah. and we had, um, we put all that stuff too, because we were, we had some meetings with um, um, like treasury and some civil servants there. And we put yeah. all of that to them and they were like, Oh, you know, give us as much information on the, on the Island stuff as you've got. I, I do think eventually we'll get somewhere. Yeah. So I think, um, I don't think it's going to be, quick no, <laughs> I, think I think it's worth going after that I think it's worth being diligent and to carry on with it because I think it'll be a game changer for the smaller it'd be obviously for the big guys as well but there'll be some people it'll say it will save salons it will save yeah. salons which then save families which save yeah. all sorts of things and the, the, the salons bring a lot around to the high street as well I remember that you know it, it's it's all the the dual business you get from a salon being in absolutely absolutely i mean i i i think you know you can't digitalize a haircut you know you it's you can never get a haircut on amazon it's just never going to happen no. and um and and actually that's that's our strong that's our strong point you know experiences restaurants bars hairdressers yeah. You know, like we've got so much I think we've almost got so much power now that we're the things that are going to keep the high streets going. Yes. Because a lot of the clothes shops and a lot of the, those things all all can quite easily move online and yeah. um, and we we can't. So no. we, we we really will become like community hubs, I think, you know. Yeah. And the things that people bring people together, you know. So what 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 Going back to like the beginning of last year, how did it affect like your business, your teams when when we hit into lockdown? Oh God, it was horrific, wasn't it? Um, um, so I remember last, so last March, I really th- it was really weird. We had this me- we had this meeting. I think probably two or three weeks before we locked lockdown, we tried to do like a we try and have like a kind of like a management like. A, brainstorming thing like twice a year right and this was like the second one we'd done we we're like oh we're getting really organized we're going to use my brainstorming session right and there was only like six or seven of us and um the second one we done and someone said right so you know this virus thing right like, oh it's not gonna be anything it's all just gonna yes what's the point talking about it right how wrong were we yeah like how wrong and um you know, everyone was trying, it was weird. Like, everyone was trying to plan for this, plan for that. I'm like, what's the point in planning? If we're going to get shut, we're going to get shut, you know? Yeah. And then there was this panic over a few weeks of like the things you had to start doing. And I can't even remember now. It was just, do you remember? It was like, oh, should we have anti back or should we have, you know, it's so weird to think back on it. But I remember when we shut, it was like, uh, we, we'd written to all the staff saying, listen, um, we, we can only pay you. I think it was 20% or something of yours. So this is before furlough got announced. Like, like this is all we can do, you know, for the yeah. next, we thought it was going to be a month or so, right? Yeah. The first lockdown. And, um, and then literally we sent that letter out and then day after furlough got announced. Right. Which was like, I remember looking at the TV going, oh, thank Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
um because that was the lifeline to keep everyone or most of our guys yeah. going and and without that you know, I don't think there'd be a salon industry. I don't think there'd be a lot of industries that all would have gone. But I spent the first, God, the first, I don't know, six weeks just um, working with the accounts and, and you know, our, our finance controller and just looking at, it was just, you know, how do we get from here to here and survive? I mean, I've got to say, like, I literally bow down to any business owner, right, that has still got a business after being shut for eight months out of a yeah. year. Yeah. It's, it is, you know, and God, like, yes, I know it's sad that there are salons that have failed and, and, and won't come back, but there are also a lot that will come back. And I think that is just, um, that's, that's amazing. I think everyone should just tap, like, pat themselves on, on, on the back. You know, Sorry. yes, we all have got a lot more debt. Yes, it's not easy. Yes, it's going to be tough. But like, just just to survive it, I yeah. think is, you know, it's incredible. Um, because you know the tap turned off. The tap turned off, right? Came back on for twelve weeks and went back off again. Yeah. I mean, it's when you think about the the insanity of it, yeah. and then you go, "Well, we've still got a business." That's unbelievable. Yeah, isn't it? It's I mean, incredible for, for people's, you know. The, the tenacity of the hairdresser, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, in, in, we're saying um, about how it's perceived. Well, look, look at it as a, to a, a strong, survivable structure. You know, like absolutely, was, absolutely. Yeah. And and Catherine from Creative Head, she did this. Um, she did this really good report, and something like eighty percent of salon owners are females under the age of, I can't remember exactly what it was, but you know, like a lot of women, a lot of women salon owners, it's amazing, you know, it's amazing. Like when you look at like who, you know, who these people are that, that make up our industry, make up salons. I just think, you know, yeah. You know, April, the, what was it? April the 12th, yeah. a few days yeah. time, you know, just, just to, to get to that point to reopen, I think everyone should just, everyone that reopens should just be so proud of themselves. I really, really, really think that I think it's just, um, you know, and it, and it has not been easy. You know, every salon owner that comes out of this on April 12th will be, will have a, an enormous amount of debt that they didn't have going in, yeah. but they've survived. Yeah. And they should just feel, they should really feel proud. I, re I really, really think that I think it's like a massive, you know, if you said if you said to someone like, "Right, you're going to be shut for eight months," <laughs> I, I don't think anyone thought would think. And I know we've had help. I know there's been furlough, and there's not been enough help, and there's been people fall through the cracks and all, all the rest of it. Yeah. But I do think that you know the industry should feel proud of itself. I, I thoroughly agree, and leads me perfectly to who else we should be proud of is our wonderful NHS. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tell me about your your campaign. So yeah, so um, it was one of these things that you get, um, you know, when you when you're, you know, because lockdown's given everyone a chance to think, you know, reflect more. I don't mean, you know, I know everyone's saying, oh, you know, I'm grateful and reflecting, but we did. I mean, we did have like, you know, you did have moments where you where you uh, where you started to think about things. You get clarity, right, from from not being so like rushing around like a blue ass fly and and. Yeah you know um 
And uh, I put this thing on Instagram just a, a few months ago, just saying, I, I really think that it'd be nice to, um, to, 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 to offer the nurses like a free haircut, free blow dry. I, I don't, I don't think I'd rounded off the idea properly at that point. And I just put it out to see what people would say. And we've got loads of responses back. Um, Cause I think there were a lot of people doing discounts, which was great. And um, yeah. but discounts still, it's not free, right? It's not a genuine, you know, it's not a, it's not a gift, is it? It's, it's, oh. it's a discount. And, uh, and, um, and I thought, you know, to really truly do something pr- like big is, is to, is to, is to really give some of our time up. Right. And so we came up with um, this idea called hair for heroes, which was about, you know, the NHS has looked after every single one of us through this entire year whether you've had COVID or you haven't, they've still looked after us, right? Yeah. Directly or indirectly. And now as hairdressers, we know the power we have to make people feel better by looking better. I mean, I'm just telling you what you, what you preach every day, right? I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> and so, so what we said was, okay, as a salon, we're going to pledge one hour of each of our team's time a week, right? That's something like 60 haircuts or something. Um, and we're going to try and get as many salons up and down the country to join in to make it kind of like a national campaign and just run it for six months. Right. So April, April till September. Um, and, you know, people can pledge more, they can pledge less completely up to them. But I just wanted to, uh, to me, the, the main thing was just give it, give it, give it, give a haircut. Don't give half haircut. So don't give 50%, give a haircut. And, and just giving that one haircut means so much more than giving kind of five fifty percent because it's really coming from it's coming from the heart right Mm. um and it is genuinely you giving up your time um and it's an hour like we've all got an hour (laughs) do you know what i mean um and so i think we're up to something like 30 salons and i think that you know everyone is everyone's really like focused on um, just getting open at the moment. And we've got lots of people, I think going to be joining in May. Um, so I think, you know, I, I'd really love to see it get to kind of a hundred, 150 salons yeah. um, over the next couple of months. Um, but we've had a really nice response so far and hopefully it will grow. Um, so, yeah. So salon owners, how do they, how do so they log on to log on to hair for heroes? Um, it's hair number four heroes.co.uk yeah. um, there's a little sign up form um, just put your name your address um, where your salon is ha- uh, roughly how many hours a week you want to donate uh, and that's just for us to be able to kind of calculate how many we're we're being as an organization how, how many we're giving we're not publicizing that um and um and then yeah we'll, we'll put your details on the website and then um we're doing a big pr push um, to get nurses to come to the website and, and and book and so they book via you so we just put your details up and then they they book via you so if you want them to book by email or book by phone it's completely up to you 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 decide how they book um and then we ask them to bring some id you know to show their nhs nurse at their appointment um but you control the whole booking thing so you can do as much or as little as you want as a salon yeah. or as a hairdresser um yeah i think i i think it's um uh it's the least people can do you know um 
and I, yeah. I try and stay apolitical, but I can never help myself for the for the sh- the absolute shitty pay rise they just got. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> and I find it often is the way. Um, it's a lot above my pay grade, so some but it just often ends up being people helping people. Um, you know, let's not wait for the right thing to be done. Yeah. Let's, let's just sort it out amongst ourselves and get it going. And I think it's um, it is a great thank you. And there's that something like you say, you can give seven, you can give eighty percent discount, but there's still that little bit of money changing hands. And it's yeah, because I, I, I found it the first time I ever done what I do. Because, as soon as you take all money away, yes, it's a totally different ball game. And yeah. it, it's really important that it's a completely free gift. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, just to turn it back to kind of what, what you say, because I think that's so, it's so powerful what, what you say about, you know, when you started, it did something that you totally didn't expect. It helped you. And, and, and I, and I think that for anyone that's doubting, listening to this or thinking, like, oh, I'm not going to sign up or I might sign up or whatever. Actually, I think this idea of charity, it does actually come back full circle and it does help you. And that could be in the form of you might listen and hear something that makes you feel grateful. It might be the fact that nurse becomes a client of yours for life. It might be anything. It it might be anything. Right. Um, But but if you don't want to do it for them, do it for you. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Just feel better. You know, yeah. you you. It, this is what does all the time. People often say to me, "Oh, you're such a nice player." Really not. And also, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, also, I, I I get so much from it. You know, I I know because how much I've missed it. Mm. I, I'm counting the days. Wednesday morning early, I'll be on. I'll be at Whitechapel Mission, and I I, I can't wait. I yeah. can't wait. To see that when was the last time you did it? Just before Christmas, because we just couldn't. We, we couldn't, couldn't do it. Do it. No. I tried a few different ways of doing it. I was conflicted as well because I thought, sort of, like my loyalty to the industry was that if if everyone mm. can't be doing it, mm-hmm. you know, I helped in other ways. You know, I, would, I delivered a handful of soup. Done. I've got quite a lot of team leaders who helped at food banks. We, you know, we did something, but we thought we've got to keep the tools down. Yeah, sort of solidarity with the industry, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but you know, we're back. Um, we're, we're opening. We're reopening about fifteen in the first two weeks. So Amazing. we've got Amazing. we've got we've got a long way to go. But it, it's like like the salons, like hair, haircuts for homeless, like the salons, hair for heroes. The rest of this year, what we're doing, we're 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 restocking, re, rebuilding, uh, resupporting our existing stuff. And then we'll move forward. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, please God, like next year, we can really start pushing again, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For, for, for all of us, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, it's been amazing. I, I, I really enjoyed our chat. I'm sorry I went off on one a couple of times. But, um, oh, up a couple of things that are really, really important to me. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, it, it's been really good. So what I'll do, I'll, I'll get all of this out. And I will. Um, we'll put the, the, the details and links and everything. Cool. And I encourage all salons to get on board with this. You know, um, thank you. Great, a great idea, a great movement, and, uh, and it's and, uh, you know six uh, months. So um, yeah, yeah, it's not yeah, going to last forever. Yeah.
but I want you to come and join me at one day. Come on. You I'm can't come, on. come. Let everybody okay. come out of it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm All right. Yes, well, thank you. Thanks so much. It's just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling.